Well, we are talking about a big subject tonight, and for many years now, perhaps the subject, a most a sensitive subject, and one that uh, is important to address from the, from the Bible, from a biblical worldview. But as we begin tonight, let's acknowledge that this homosexual, transgender, is not an out there issue. It is not that all the sexual issues come from this warped world that exists out there, the place where the liberals are. Let's acknowledge that this is also a church issue, that we have an unhealthy and perverse thoughts on sex, even in the context of marriage. Even if we have the right ideas in our own practice, we've been heavily influenced by the world and not by the Bible. Let's acknowledge that this issue is in the heart of same-sex attraction, homosexuality, gender identity, is not isolated to just the world, but is a sin that is here too. People that are close to you, your own family members, brothers, sisters, aunts and uncles, friends, perhaps even yourself, struggling with this, trying to make sense of all this and and where you fit and what does God's word say about it. So let's pray and we'll ask his guidance tonight. God, we pray that you would give us wisdom to deal with our own sin, our own pride. Give us clarity from your word, how you'd want us to respond Help us to see your truth tonight, full of love and full of grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, it's our desire to see more people more like Jesus. So we want to have the same sexual outlook and ethic that Jesus has and the one that he laid out for us. So if you have a Bible, let's go and beginning tonight to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, as we look at Jesus, the model of the most fulfilled man to ever live, yet never was married, never had a sexual experience, and yet brings us life and life abundantly, definitely had a sexual ethic and knew exactly what the Bible taught on it. Although he doesn't use the word homosexuality actually in any of his teaching, he does tell us what his view of it is, and it's the one that's been from the very beginning that is unchanged. Matthew chapter 19, verses 3 through 6 says, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate." Before we get going tonight, I just want to give you two book recommendations. There's many out there, but these are two that I've read recently that I think will be really helpful to you. The first one is called, Is God Anti-Gay? That's by Sam Alberry. Uh, he is a same-sex attracted man, 
and uh, he argues as a same-sex attracted man and a visiting professor right now at Cedarville University for the biblical case for sexuality in regards to homosexuality as a person who struggles with it and fights for God's design. The second one is the secret thoughts of an unlikely convert, how an English professor's journey into the Christian faith written by Rosaria Butterfield. This one in particular, uh, Rosaria was a tenured professor at Syracuse, a lesbian, and uh, was in charge of all the uh, LGBT groups on campus and all the clubs and was drastically and radically saved by God, as we all are when we all get saved. But she has uh, wrote her memoir here and is really helpful and useful. I'd recommend those two books for you. And we'll put a bunch of other links uh, on the page that this, this message comes out on. But Jesus lays out for us in Matthew chapter 19 his view and God's plan about sex from the beginning. And he starts by quoting Genesis chapter 2 with the very first marriage. Now these points that I'm taking out of Matthew chapter 19 are from a man named Andrew T. Walker. And uh, he's written a book called uh, The Transgender Debate, which I would recommend as well. But the first thing that we want to notice about Jesus and his ethic about sexuality starts with first that there is a creator. He says, have you not heard or have you not read who created? There is a creator. The world belongs to God. He knows what is best. He has created all things, and he knows how, to, how they are to operate. He has made them to operate in a certain way. So God has laid down the rules, has laid down the foundation about how things in his world are supposed to operate, and he has made the rules for us to follow. The other day, I was uh, updating my credit card information on my Easy Pass. We don't have tolls in Iowa, I don't think, but for, if you've ever driven to another state that you have to pay a toll, this thing is beautiful. You don't have to stop. You drive full speed through. And as I was updating my information on this, I was just fascinated by how amazing this thing is. That I can put in my credit card, and then anytime I drive through something, uh, so it is registered to a place in Berea, Ohio, and then they charge my credit card through this being up on my windshield. And I was just fascinated by that. I know there's a lot of other bigger technology than that this day and age. But I was reminded of, man, I have no better ideas for how an easy pass should work. The people that created this thing knows the best way for it to work, has designed it and made it in such a way that is easy for us to use. I mean, it's called an easy pass and really, when we think about a creator, one that has made the world, really sexuality and homosexuality is a worldview issue. And we believe as Christians that there is a transcendent God who has order and objective truth that is found in his word. And as Bible-believing Christians, we come under the truth of God's word. We don't stand above it. We don't even stand beside it. But we place and submit ourselves under it. And so the word of God informs our feelings. The word of God says that truth is not subjective, but it has been laid out for us and told us what that truth is by a transcendent and great God who's the creator of all things. And the good thing is we know that this creator is good. 
And because he is good, we see that in what he was willing to do for his creation. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to us on our behalf to die in our place. We can know that this creator would give to us what is best and for our good with his design. Secondly, we see Jesus lays out that we are created. That's important. It's important to realize that we are creation. We are not autonomous. If we evolved, then we can make up our own rules. Everyone could. It wouldn't matter. But if we're made on purpose by a creator, we realize that we don't get to make the rules. I mean, if we're up to us, sure, perhaps we would say, do whatever you want, whatever makes you feel good. But we can't say that because we are the creation and not the creator. Andrew Walker says, for us to obey God is to give him what he deserves as his creation. And to obey him is to do what is best for you, to live by his design. Thirdly, Jesus lays out for us that we are gendered. We are gendered. He says, God created them male and female. Sam Alberry says, we are not just human beings, but we are designed by God to be both male and female. There are two genders, and God has assigned them to us. Do you know Facebook has over 50 gender options now? But the Bible lays out for us that there's two, and they're made to complement each other. They're not the same. They're made to fill in the gaps where we are lacking. God has designed us in such a way to be different so that we can come together as one and complement one another. This isn't in my notes, but I just thought of this and might bring a little bit of levity. One of my favorite movies is Rocky. And uh, uh, he's dating Adrian at the time, and Rocky is asked by his soon-to-be brother-in-law, Paulie, what do you see in my sister? And he said, Paulie, I got gaps. She's got gaps. Together we fill gaps. <laughs> it's pretty wise, right? And it's true. Number four, <laughs> Jesus laid out for us what God does, we should not seek to undo. What God does, we should not seek to undo. He gave us one man, one woman for making love for marriage, in the context of marriage, and he is a good creator with a perfect design. And when we sin, when we willingly choose to go against God's design, we're vandalizing his creation. And that's so often what we see. We see his creation not as something to be followed, but an open canvas, a blank sheet for us to write upon it and to write things that God hasn't designed us to do. Instead of looking at the beautiful art to saying, wow, God is good, we vandalize it with our own work. But why is this? Why do we have such a hard time accepting this instead of living under, under the authority desiring, and desiring our own autonomy? Why do we fight against this? Well, turn your Bible to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to go to a couple different places today. Romans chapter 1 is the second one. And we'll look in this one a little bit later on in regards to homosexuality. But let's look at this one as to why is it that we long for autonomy and we don't like being under a creator. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23, it'll be behind me as well. You'll see it there. 
And it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For that was known about God as plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In these things that God has made, so that they are left, that is man, without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their, fu- their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man and birds, animals, and creeping Things. So Romans chapter 1 tells us that man is left without excuse that there is a creator God that's clearly seen in creation. You look out at the sun, the moon, the stars, the world around you, and the human response is not, wow, I am awesome, but wow, someone had to have made these things. And that's for us. That's called general revelation where God reveals himself to us through creation. But what we do as human beings is we know the truth, but we take it and we press it down. That's what it says that they have suppressed the truth. We see God's clearly revealed himself to us, but we say, no, because of my sin, I'm going to say this. I don't want to hear what God's truth has, and so I'm going to suppress it and push it down to a place where I don't want to hear it anymore. And then the result is verse 25 because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creator rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So Paul says the result is, the problem is we've exchanged the glory of God for created things. We worship the creation rather than the creator. We worship ourselves. We say our way is better. My way is better than God's design and I want to live on my own way. Romans chapter 3 teaches that we are completely and totally depraved. That is, we can't seek God on our own. We can't do any good apart from God. And sin affects every area of our being, including our view of sexuality. Because sin affects us all the way down to our core. This is why we desire sex on our own terms and in our own way. We are tempted in unnatural ways because of our indwelling sin. That is the sin that every human being inherits at conception. And because of that, from birth, our desires are distorted and our hearts lie to us. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Just follow your heart, right? No, don't. It's deceptively wicked, and no one can understand it. Our heart lies to us and tells us we'll be happy unless we get what our heart wants. I need to have fulfillment in order to be happy, in order to be whole. I need to have the real me. And this is what people are searching for, isn't it? Wholeness, finding who they really are, who they really were created to be. But since we have suppressed the truth, we look for it and where our identity is found in the wrong places. Rather than being in the creator, we look out instead of up or we look in instead of up to God. 
So gender dysphoria, that is the experience, that is those who are going through gender dysphoria, they have real feelings about distress, about their gender identity, perhaps you, and that's a result of sin. Gender dysphoria, to be transgender is to say that your sex doesn't line up with your gender. How you feel is different than your physical sex. Same-sex attraction as well as the result of man falling into sin. And those who struggle with this are trying to make sense of these feelings that they have or that you have. Now, all of us were susceptible to certain sins, some more than others. Some maybe it's greed, some it's pride, some it's gambling, some is lust. Here's what Andrew Walker says about this. The Bible didn't categorize unwanted physiological distress as sinful in itself. That is, it's not wrong for you to be tempted, but it's a sign that you live in a broken and sinful world. So catch this. Your temptation may not be a choice, and temptation itself is not sin. If it was, then Jesus was a sinner. It's not wrong to be tempted. And oftentimes, those are just our natural inclinations being living in a fallen world. But how you respond is your choice. And so you need to know what things are you tempted towards. If you struggle with gambling, you're probably not going to want to go to the buffet at Prairie Meadows just to eat. Because you're going to struggle while you're there. You need to know what these things are. And so we live in a fallen world, and it's affected every area of our lives. And some people, yes, are tempted to think about sex and gender dysphoria in ways as a result of this broken world that we live in. Sam Alberry, who I mentioned is a same-sex attractive man, says this. When someone is gay or says that they are gay, it becomes their whole identity. It's how they view themselves. It goes beyond their sexual orientation. He says, I call myself same-sex attracted. Now catch this. It is how I feel, but not what defines me. It is how I feel, but it is not what defines me. So really, it's an issue of identity. Am I going to let my temptations and the things that I am drawn to define who I am? Or am I going to let Christ define who I am rather than what I am drawn to? We'll watch a little video here. I edited this video down. It's on YouTube. You can watch the whole thing. But for sake of time, this is a guy named Beckett. And he was a homosexual man. And he uh, found it that it was his identity, but found a new identity when he heard the gospel and came to know Christ. He said, I was convinced that being gay was unchanging, but I realized that my identity could be found in Christ. He goes on to say, one day at the resurrection, my same-sex attraction will fade, but my identity as a Christian and being incorporated into Christ's body by the Holy Spirit will remain. Well, we looked a little bit at what Jesus taught about sex, but what does the rest of the Bible teach about sex and homosexuality? Let's start by looking at the Old Testament. There'll be two verses from Leviticus that we put up on the screen behind me. 
Uh, this is within a whole list of forbidden things and forbidden sexual activity. And first it tells us that you should not lie with a male as with a woman, as this is an abomination. Leviticus 20, then chapter 13, tells us if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. So pretty extreme uh, cases here for homosexuality, the result being death in the Old Testament. But you look at the other verses that are around this, and there's a lot of different commands. I mean, there's commands about not rounding the hair on your temples or eating meat with blood. I mean, what are we supposed to do with those things? Are those still binding for us today? Why not those? Why can I order a medium rare steak and had that be okay? Thank you that I don't have to order well done steaks all the time. Why is that okay? Or why is it okay for me to trim the hair around my temples? But is it we still keep this idea or this command of homosexuality being a sin? Well, God didn't repeat those things again in the New Covenant, in the New Testament, but he did repeat again the very same commands that still remained about homosexuality. Let's go back to Romans chapter 1. Hopefully you're still there, and we'll look at the verses that follow in verse 26 and 27. Paul says, Because man has suppressed the truth, because they have pursued the creation rather than the creator, verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. He's giving them over to what they want. Their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and men likewise gave up natural relations with women that were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So God gave them over for the suppression of the truth, and he gave them over to what the text says, unnatural ways. So we're told that homosexuality goes against God's design for humanity. It is not his natural way. Now, since the fall, all sin is unnatural. It's not how God designed it to be. But Paul unpacks that even in the areas of sexuality, we don't get to determine what's going on. It's not natural how God has created it. But yet you hear the question a lot, don't you? But it feels natural to me. This feels like who I really am. Four years ago now, perhaps five, I think, Alex Tuckness from uh, Cornerstone, an elder up at Cornerstone, and Jeff Dodge were here. And they gave us this quote, that just because something feels natural doesn't mean to, that it's right. Just because something feels natural doesn't mean that it's right. People even say, well, even look at the animal realm. They're just behaving naturally, and homosexuality takes place in the animal realm. And Alex very funnily said, yes, and animals also eat their young, but that doesn't make it right. <laughs> but you just, you just see this, and I don't say that to be, uh, to say that I'm not, that we're not being sensitive or that we're not having an open heart to this. We are tr doing our best being sensitive while proclaiming truth at the same time. Anything outside of a man and woman in marriage is unnatural and against God's design. But let's look at a passage where homosexuality is condemned 
But some hope is offered at the very same time. So flip over to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now there's more passages about homosexuality than what I'm looking at tonight, but just in the time frame that we have, these are the few that we'll look at. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul gives this list of people who won't enter God's kingdom. That is those who will not go to heaven, but will instead go to hell. Paul says that homosexuals, those who practice homosexuality, will not enter the kingdom of God. And to say that homosexuality is okay is to condemn someone. So we must tell the truth. But then you look at this passage and you say, wait a minute, wait a minute. But there's a lot of other sins that are mentioned here. And many of those that I just read, you're thinking, and I'm thinking, I'm guilty of a lot of those things. I've been a thief, I've been greedy, even some of other things that are mentioned I've struggled with and others here in this room have struggled with and certainly all of us are unrighteous so Paul says none of us will inherit the kingdom of God and he's exactly right. All humanity will not enter God's kingdom in their own righteousness. So God doesn't make a special category for homosexuality. It's not, this is the major sin, and all others kind of fall behind it. No, even though we might do that, even though you might do that, God doesn't do that. It's a sin that's included with all others that will keep you out of the kingdom of God, equally guilty before God, all these sins deserving God's wrath. But look at verse 11. And such were some of you. So what's he saying? Some of you were homosexuals. You practice these things. Some of you are and were all the things that I've mentioned, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. So he says, but that's not true of your life anymore. You've been washed of original sin. It's been removed. You've been sanctified. You've been set apart for good use now, and you have been justified, declared righteous in the son of, by the Son of God in the courtroom of God. So before God, even though your sin still remains, he no longer sees it. The unrighteous are now made righteous. So there's hope for humanity, and there's hope for those who practice and have warped things about sexuality. So how should we respond? How should we respond? First, we should respond in truth. We should respond in truth. We need to tell the truth about what the Bible says. Especially to Christians, now catch this, especially to Christians who are leaning away from the truth of God's word. So who are we hardest on when it comes to these things? People who name the name of Christ. 
People who say they live according to the Bible, we give them the truth and we say, you're wrong. That is incorrect and is not what the Bible teaches. Albert Moeller is really helpful in all these areas of sexuality, and I would encourage you to listen to his briefing that he does daily, even read some of his books. But in his, one of his debates, and there's an amazing clip by Re- uh, Reformed Thug Life that you can watch, but we won't show it here. Uh, but it shows a clip of him talking on Larry King. And there is one pastor on there that says that it's totally natural, it's fine, and we should celebrate those who embrace all forms of sin outside of what God has designed. And Albert Moeller responded, which is true for us, true churches don't celebrate sin, they repent of it. We need to be very careful, too, because now we live in such a time where this isn't just an, an adult thing, it's an it's a elementary school thing, it's a middle school thing, it's a high school thing, and it's becoming almost a cool thing for a, a child to embrace being transgender. But they're confused, they don't know what's going on, they're seeing things like Bruce Jenner, who is now Caitlyn Jenner, receiving the greatest athlete award for bravery, the highest honor, and they're seeing the response that comes from this, someone who's an outcast that is being accepted in this way. And I'm not saying that all of them aren't legitimately struggling with these things, but there is a danger if we're not speaking the truth that a child will look at it and go, if I come out in this way, then I'll be accepted, I'll be applauded, and I'll be celebrated. The world will always applaud what goes against God's design. The world will always applaud what goes against God's design. Romans chapter 1. And so we need to speak the truth. We need to tell people about God's design and what his plan is for us and for our sexuality. Secondly, going along with Ephesians chapter 4, we need to speak the truth, but we need to do it in love. Condemning someone is telling them the truth and then pushing them away. Saying, here's what the Bible says, deal with it. Telling someone the truth in love is then, after telling them the truth, pulling them in close. Being patient and walking through this with them. And listen, if you're here tonight and you're struggling, and I know some of you are, with identity, same-sex attraction, we love you. We want to tell you the truth, that this is a result of the fall when sin came into the world. And we want to love you and help you and encourage you. We don't want to isolate you as a, as a weird case that's different than everyone else. We want to love you, help you, and help you to find your identity in Christ as all of us are looking to find our identity in Christ together. So don't just proof text somebody. Here's what this verse says, now go away. And let us not abandon those that are struggling and saying that you need to live a celibate life. Perhaps that's what God has called you to, to be single. But not give relational intimacy to people. To say that someone only needs Jesus is to say that you're more godlier than Jesus. 
Because he says that you don't need just your relationship with God. You need a relationship with people. You need relational, relational intimacy. So let us pull those that are struggling in to do life with us, to live with them. And thirdly, to respond with a, cultural, a culture of openness. To respond with a culture of openness. This is on any subject, any sin that's out there. To respond in your own life with areas and ways that you are struggling. In your cell groups, when you're sharing, are you only talking in past tense? Or are you talking about the real struggles that you're going through right now? If you're not open and honest and set the tone for that, cell group leaders, other leaders, people are not going to be open and honest with you in the struggles that they have. So set the tone in creating a culture of being open, of being genuine and being real and showing people, I don't have it all together. I'm still a work in progress my well, as well, and I'm still trying to find my full identity in Christ. As the church father Augustine said, churches should not be a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. Not a place where people come in and sit down like they're getting interviewed for a job, but a place where they can come and find healing for their brokenness and their sins. And number four, let's start with the heart. Starting with the heart. Don't jump right in and act like the biggest sin of someone is their homosexuality or same-sex attraction. It's not. Well, we've said before, their biggest sin is not believing in Jesus. So that's where you start. You start with Jesus. You begin with the heart issue and you work your way out from there because the, the transgender, the homosexual, the lesbian, it is a symptom of the heart of looking for wholeness, longing to find identity and it's flushed out in the way that, it's, that they're living. So start with the core, what the problem is, not working from the outside in. My mom and dad were never coffee drinkers, but in the last few years they have become so. And uh, when I say coffee drinkers, really they drink uh, more coffee with their cream, if you know what I mean. And I remember the first time I really sat down with them to drink coffee, and I took a sip, and I was like, oh, mom, this is terrible. And I, she says, well, what's wrong? Do you need some cream to add to it? And I said, no, the problem is I can see the bottom of the cup from my coffee. I said, how many scoops are you using? And she said, just one. I said, for 12 cups of coffee? It's like a scoop this big. She's like, isn't that enough? We have all this French vanilla creamer, and it's delicious. And I went over and looked in the cabinet, and I saw what the coffee was. I'm like, you're using Aldi coffee. And I love Aldi, okay? I'm a big fan of Aldi, but not for the coffee. She thought the issue was I needed more cream. But that was outside. The issue was the coffee. It was the beans. <laughs> so often, though, this is how we relate to people in the Christian life. In all areas, we start with the symptoms. We start with the outside, thinking if we can fix the outside, everything will be okay, when really, we need to start with Jesus at the heart. That's where we begin. Even a practice of Sailorville, if you become a place that is a hospital for sinners and not just a museum for saints, you start to bring people with lives that are messy, lives that are broken, 
that didn't grow up in church, that aren't coming from backgrounds and the same moral ideas that the, uh, people who grew up in church had. That's why even in just a, a, an application point here, when we talk to those that it's becoming more and more the norm to be living together before marriage, and it's not an issue. The first thing that when we talk to people isn't, well, let's get your living situation figured out first before we can talk. No, it's let's talk to you about Jesus. Let's let him change your heart and let him show you areas that you need to change in your life to be more like Jesus. But as we close, I think there's two things that we can learn from the LGBT community. Something that they're doing better than us as a church. I think the first one is hospitality. Watch this video from Rosaria Butterfield. We're not individuals. We're made to live together. Let's take a cue from them and have a home that's open to people who are different than us, welcoming, and uh, let's show hospitality to each other. Lastly, let's, let's learn from their passion. They have great passion for what they believe, great passion for who they are in the community. Do they outdo us in zeal? Is Christianity an afterthought to you? Is it your core? Is it everything you are? Is it your identity in Christ? Let's learn in that way and let's be passionate for Jesus, for his design. If we truly believe that there is a creator and we are his creation and that he stepped into time and space to save his creation, oh man, that's something to get passionate about. God, we pray that we would learn. We pray that we would live by your design. We pray we would be open, honest, real. We pray, God, that we would speak the truth. Thank you that your word is truth. It sanctifies us and tells us how to live. God, I pray that we would love others, love them to the gospel, pointing them to Jesus. I pray that we would struggle together and that we would be more like you as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.